Hello, everyone, and welcome to Locked on Guardians, your off-season edition. We're going to get the draft stuff on the show, as promised. We are going to talk a little bit here at the top of the show um, about a few things are bouncing around, a few things to talk about. Uh, I wanted to, first off, though, I want to thank you for making Locked on Guardians your first listen, free and available three days a week right now in the off-season, wherever it is you get podcasts, whatever app or service, you can check us out there. Uh, so make sure to download daily rate and review all those things that can help our show grow. So there was a tweet from at Roto Clegg with the C. Uh, and this tweet is Bradley Zimmer's quality of contact is so good. He just needs to make more contact. 90th percentile EV is better than Juan Soto, Jordan Alvarez, Bryce Harper, Joey Gallo, and others. And again, it's this whole idea that like when he makes contact, he makes amazing contact. There are the physical tools there, and I know people are going to be like, you're such a Bradley uh, Zimmer stan, but this is less about me. I, I still don't, it's not, I think there is an easy road to him as a starter. I I do not think it is with the Cleveland Guardians, because uh, the easy road to him as a starter is, you know, being a Kevin Kiermeyer essentially, in center field, because I think defensively, he also trends up that way. Uh, they need to have Miles Straw, so it doesn't make any sense there. Uh, but when you look at his defensive value and you look at what he's cl- clocked for outs above average, you look at you know center field in general across baseball. It is a hard position to fill. We've talked about this many times this offseason that teams jumped at outfielders because outfielders are hard to come by. It was outfielders and starting pitching that immediately went away in free agency before the lockout. And you go and you look at this uh, tweet and, and it just shows again, it's like, he has the physical tools that are going to excite teams. And it's the same way uh, we see in other sports. Everybody thinks they can fix someone. You know, you can't increase somebody's tools. You can uh, you can make them a better player, but you can't make them faster. You can't make them stronger. So when you look at things like this with Bradley Zimmer, we know he can be, you know, at least a fourth outfielder due to elite defensive potential, uh, speed, and just what the data shows there. And then you get into the exit velocities, and every team's going to think, oh, if I can just fix him, he doesn't have to start having great contact rates. Uh, His contact is, you know, his contact rates are poor. But when he hits, he just kills the ball. Uh, Essentially, Zimmer could end up being, you know, Austin Meadows. Uh, Maybe a better offensive ceiling there. But when you're looking at a position that is hard to fill, Elite defensive values. Can the bat be enough? Did I say Austin Meadows? I meant to say Austin Hedges. I said the wrong Austin. Uh, but yeah, so it's the you know, and this came back around because people always accuse me when I'm like, I think he's got trade value, and people just disagree with me so much on this. Like, oh, he has nothing. Uh, at Joe Doyle, M I L B. He's uh, another draft person, uh, scout school certified. I see on here. Uh, from Prospects Live and Lookout Landing, you know he does a lot of really good work. Uh, you know he he tweets in my response to that I've said since the beginning, Jeff. Seattle and Cleveland really line up well, make it happen, and I agree. Uh, this is what makes sense. And again, why does it make sense? Well, you look at Seattle's outfield makeup. You're assuming Kalenic and Julio Rodriguez are going to be your corner outfielders. They don't have that pure center fielder. I know Kalenic came up as a center fielder, and met, you know there's a chance. Uh, some people think Julio might be there, but I mean, most people think those guys are corner bats. Now, if those are your two corner outfielders and you are the Seattle Mariners, what do you do with Mitch Haniger? 
what do you do with Kyle Lewis, who's so good two years ago? And again, he's not a center fielder. Uh, if we go look at a roster resource, roster resource is not perfect. We've discussed this many times. It is interesting. They have Kalenic listed as a center fielder, Jake Fraley in left, right field being Mitch Haniger, and the DH is Kyle Lewis. Uh, Taylor Trammell, remember him? He is, you know, one of the backup outfielders on this team, and Julio is just sitting there. Basically, the thought process, I believe, is you have Mitch Haniger for next year. I think he's a free agent at the end of next season. He plays the year out for them with Julio Ray to step in. So if they can go out and get, you know, someone like Bradley Zimmer, put him in center, move Klenick to left, uh, it sets them up roster-wise. Now, trading someone like Kyle Lewis does take away their DH uh, in terms of a corner outfielder. They've got players to fill that. You know, they've gone out and they've made some minor moves. Uh, the the big one being the uh, addition of Robbie Ray, of course. But you know, they could still add. Um, they could add more bats. They could potentially promote from within. Let's say they decide Julio's ready to go. Could he be someone? I you know, I don't. I don't think they're going to be that aggressive with his promotion. I Seattle's in a nice place. They got two of the top ten prospects in baseball. That, that's a very nice place to be in. They've got a young, interesting pitching staff, and they just went out and added a Cy Young Award winner to it. The bullpen is developing. There's some interesting guys. Paul Seawald near the top of that list. Uh, man, you know Evan White, who they gave that contract extension to a few years ago, isn't currently slated amongst these starters. It's like you know, in an ideal world, Evan White is their first baseman. Ty France is the DH. Uh, France's defense, even at first, is not ideal. So you're kind of looking at something like that if you're Seattle. And again, I'll just keep coming around. You know, Zimmer plus, I'm not sure. You know, maybe that gets you Kyle Lewis. Maybe there's a way. And Kyle Lewis, you're getting, what, four more years of team control, I believe. A guy who was really good a year ago, struggled with some health this year. You're going to have him play in the corners. I don't know if he's necessarily going to be great there. But, you know, you look last year, it was only 36 games due to health. His projection is a 103 runs created plus by Steamer. An above average corner outfitter worth only 1.3 war because of, uh, you know, not a lot of belief in his defensive value. But, I, you know, the type of guy you want to buy low on. You know, it, it's the knees are scary. That's the other reason Seattle would probably be willing to consider him in deals. He's had multiple knee injuries through the years. Um, and I know... You know, he has been brought up as uh, someone that Seattle is counting on, but I also think he is someone that they'd be willing to consider trading. Uh, He was so good in 2020 and that shortened season. 127 runs created plus. Uh, You know, he's probably somewhere between 2020 and 2021, but I just thought it was interesting to go back and bring up the Bradley Zimmer of it all because I get so many negative statements when I sit back and talk about why they kept Bradley Zimmer on the roster. And why I think he has more trade value. I mean, Cleveland fans just really do not like him. <laughs> they, you know, they've grown tired of him. But at the end of the day, what it comes down to is physical tools can't be taught. And he has all the tools you want. Every team thinks, oh, you know what? If we can get him up to like a 40% contact rate, he's going to be a star. He's, he's going to be a plus Kevin Kiermeyer, And that's what you saw him as. And again, it, Teams always love those physical tools. First round picks never die. You know, they, they bounce around to organizations that like them and get them. Even when they failed repeatedly in the lower and high minors, they still get opportunities. Uh, so I think, 
yeah. I I think I still stand by my statement. I think Zimmer has traded value. I think he has a lot more in Mercado at this point in time. Uh, I am curious to see how it all plays out. We're going to take a break here, come back, and start talking about the top. I believe we're at player 20 on my prospect list for the draft and move down from there. Let's talk about that first sponsor. Right now, bites are going away. 50% off all bites. If there is a flavor you like, I mean, you can get things that you can't normally get, like salted pretzel bites. Uh, yeah, that's not a common reoccurring flavor. The cherry lime, cookie dough, people love blueberry muffin. All the bites are going away. Now is your chance. You want to go and get in on this deal. And when you go and you do a deal like this, 50% off Built Bar Bites, guess what happens? You can still use the promo code LOCKED15 and save 50%. You've never had a better opportunity. You've never had a chance like this. 50% off sale for so many brands, so many types. I would take the whole time just to read them all. Go check it out for yourself. Salted caramel pretzel bites look the most intriguing to me, but I would recommend you go see. Oh, they're already sold out. That's how quick they're going. Save 50% and then save another 15%. Right now, they're $9.93. You'd get another 15% off if you use the promo code LOCKED15. It is a steal. Go today and buy some mini bites at BuiltBar.com. Remember, that promo code is LOCKED15. So we left off last time on this list with uh, talking about Jason Jones, the tooled up high risk current shortstop future third baseman. You can listen to that on last week's show. So we're at my 20th ranked player. And, you know, it's I don't know if I want to say he's a player where there are uh, doubters, but I definitely let's just get into it. It's Dylan Beavers from Cal. Uh, He had a rough summer. I see some people talk about, you know, a bad cape. It was eight games. (laughs) <laughs> like, can you really take anything from 30 at-bats? Uh, I know it was not great for Team USA either, so it's more the cumulative effect. They didn't show up great for Team USA. He didn't, the cape was limited. He didn't have a lot of great opportunities. This is still a guy who won't turn 21 until August 11th. Incredibly young uh, junior. Last year in his, you know, really the first opportunity he had, 303 average, 405 on base, 630 slugging, 18 home runs, some of the highest home run totals across uh, baseball, 12% walk rate, 21% strikeout rate. Those are solid, really solid numbers. He's that guy who, I mean, he might have 55s across the board, right? He's not necessarily plus. He is not uh, a supreme athlete. He's not any of those things. But he played extremely well last year. Uh, he did everything uh, you would want a young hitter to do. You know, he's a big kid. Some people think maybe he can stay in center field. He's probably a corner outfielder, let's be honest. If he gets bigger and stronger, uh, the speed will probably back up a little bit on him, and he's probably going to move to a corner spot. And, you know, you, you, you're fine with that because the power that should come with it should be more than enough. The arm might make it so you'd prefer him in left to right. It's not a bad arm. It's just it's more average. Uh, so again, you know, if you've been listening to the show, I talk about the thin margins and here's another guy. I mean, the margins are thin when it's, you're projecting his 55s everywhere. It'll play if he's fifties everywhere. If he's a mix of 45s and fifties, uh, then you're going to run into issues and he's, you know, backup fourth outfield type, but I, I can't get past the production. I can't get past, you know, we know when you're looking at college guys, <sighs> pack 10 isn't great. 
Let's just be honest. Let's put that on front street. There's a lot of very hitter-friendly places. There's not a lot of high-end players. It's not, you know, the ACC and the SEC are just head and shoulders above all their conferences. That's just the truth of the matter uh, when it comes to looking at evaluation. Pac-12 is probably fourth, you know, behind what the Big 12, right? That's what they are now, uh, at least for the time being, until everyone moves and changes again. But I look at Beaver's production. I look at his age. You know, he did that all as a 19-year-old going up against players. Remember, uh, guys got that extra year of eligibility, so he went up against a lot older players last year. High-level production. Bat pips are just, you know, a smidge above. three. I uh, 320 is good. Uh, I'm always kind of looking for, like, 340 or better just in terms of contact. The hit tool is probably the biggest question mark. I get he had a rough summer, but... I just I can't look past the production of a redshirt freshman who was 19 years old as a redshirt freshman. You know how many like uh, freshmen start at 19 and turn 20 during the course of their true freshman year? This is a redshirt freshman who was 19 for his entire season and raked. Uh, I think I think that is a bad summer or not. I, I think he is someone who could easily move up boards and that people are sleeping on a little. This might be low if I'm being honest. But uh, yeah, there it is. Uh, next player is one that is going to cause issue. Brock Porter, Orchard, Lake St. Mary's in Michigan. I'm not saying that because this is Locked on Guardians and I'm an Ohio-based podcast and we know how people in Ohio feel about uh, Michigan. No more that I know some people who think Brock Porter is a top 10 prospect in this class. Uh, he's been able to you know, hit the low 90s. I believe he's hit triple digits. Uh, it's been utterly dominant. I think he's been like the top player in Michigan for multiple years now. Uh, he's got a big build. He's got the fastball. He's the prototype, right? The six foot four, two hundred pound plus throws hard. Now we talked about age, right? Uh, he, let's see, he was a, a 2003 birthday, June. So you know he will turn 19 this summer. And he's not uh, Dylan Beavers is. Got like a year on him or something. Uh, that's probably not right. Let's see. He is a 2001. So two-year difference between these guys. One is a high school senior and one should be a college sophomore. I mean, that's that's about right, right? I mean, I'd have to go back and look at it. It's uh, <laughs> For the age obsessed, the big deal here is he would be draft eligible in two years if he ended up going to Clemson. Uh, yeah, like I said, it's, it's, it looks on paper he looks good. Uh, it's a clean delivery. He has a big build. He's already, you know, uh, throws extremely hard. You're assuming that, uh, you know, that the secondary pitches will continue to grow and become above average, you know, potentially plus, but the fastball is going to be the plus weapon. Uh, He's gotten four pitches that he throws. Everything's kind of right there. But the control is good. It's not great, any of those things. It's just... When a guy throws that hard and the control is, is just good at this age, I get nervous. One, feels like every pitcher gets an arm injury. And two, uh, guys fall apart due to control. Um, not to say that, again, control is not an issue here. It's not a plus tool. It's just not an issue. I look at him and I'm like, he is a very good player. He could end up making me look very dumb. <laughs> but I don't like the risk of a, of a prep arm. That's just what this comes down to. Why is he 19 on my board and top 10 others? Prep arms make me nervous. Uh, I'm not willing to make that gamble as an evaluator if I am running a team because this is what I would do. 
He's probably going to cost a lot of money to sign as well. And I would just let someone else carry that freight. It's not for me in this situation. Uh, let's do one more before we break in. And the last one, Blake Tidwell from Tennessee, another pitcher who throws extremely hard. Didn't actually have the strongest year at Tennessee last year. A lot of the valuation from him came from uh, what he did over the summer. We talked about uh, the Beavers having his value get a bit dinged by his summer performance. Tidwell in the summer and then also in the fall ball came out slinging it. And that's when he really kind of jumped on boards. I think I was saying Blake and I meant to say Blade. So Blade Tidwell, I, I'm not going to go back and delete it because I'm lazy. It's not that I'm lazy. You know how it is. Time intensive. So last year, you're looking at a guy who only struck out 8 per 9 with a walk of 3.9. Let's point that out. Not a bad walk rate for 98 innings. Doing it in the SEC as a true freshman. He's another one where he'll be 20 this entire year. He's, uh, while it's his draft-eligible year as a draft-eligible sophomore, uh, because of the June birthday, he'll be 21 in uh, June. So he's, you know, last year he was uh, essentially pitched the entire year as a night. This is where it gets weird when it's a June birthday. You know, he's a 19-year-old as a freshman, typical age. He's a 20-year-old as a sophomore, typical age. But he'll be 21 come June. So for age-based models, you know, it's not ideal. But it's also not a, um, you know, a a rule breaker. Not a rule breaker. You know what I'm trying to think of and can't pull out. Um, So for Tidwell, Blade Tidwell, again, not Blake. Uh, fastball slider are the two big ones. The fact that he can run it up there in the high 90s. And again, it's the summer where he was really out there slinging it. Velocity was jumping, uh, doing a lot more. He was great for Tennessee in the playoffs last year. Again, the overall numbers aren't, you know, home run rate over one. We've talked about why home run rate isn't like the biggest deal. Walk rate a little over three. That's good. But with his stuff, it's always disconcerting to me when it's a strikeout rate, only about eight. So he's one of those players, if he comes out, and honestly, like if his strikeout rate doesn't move significantly, like if he's not over 10, he will tumble in my rankings because I've seen too many guys whose stuff is really good, who just can't miss bats, and you have to miss bats anymore. That's just part of the game. Uh, Jeff Hoffman, you know, that's, that's always the one I bring up. But there have been others where I'm like, eh, you need to worry about this. So we'll see. Right now with Blade, uh, Tidwell, I, it's a solid season as a freshman in the SEC. We're hoping to see an increase in the strikeouts. The stuff is there. And, you know, when you see the fastball, the slider, the walk rate, he gives you a pretty good, you know, floor as a reliever. I Like Brock Porter is one spot behind him. I think Porter has the higher ceiling. I think Tidwell is a safer prospect in terms of, you know, he, with the fastball and the slider, it's pretty easy to see this guy as a reliever uh, if everything doesn't work out. So that's kind of where I am in terms of players 20, 19, and 18, right? That's where I am on this. Sorry, you know, I have all these open. We're going to come back, talk about a bat, and then talk about my highest rated uh, prep pitcher. So make sure to tune in for that after a quick break. Bet online, you know, they are our friends. They have been our sponsor for over a year now. 
Uh, might be hard to believe, but yeah, this is one of our most consistent sponsors. Built Bar and Bet Online. They make Locked On Go. Bet Online wants to wish you a happy new betting year as they continue to march to the playoffs and beyond. Bet Online remains number one spot for the best sports wagering action for 2022. New year and a new updated desktop and mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use the promo code Locked On to get started. Football, basketball, hockey, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers for 2022. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports. Bet online, where the game starts. So, I feel a little bad for Cade Dowdy. You know, he's uh, baseball reference has him listed as a shortstop. I believe he played mostly third base last year. Uh, the problem, you know, he's most people view him as a potential third baseman. Uh, Jacob Barry is transferring in and is one of the top ten players in this class. So, Doty can't play the position that I think most teams would like to see him play. You know, maybe he can show that second will be a place he can stick, and if he can stick there, that's going to help his value. Uh, he does a lot of things really well, and I know some people aren't as high on him. I, I just I, I think he could probably be a plus Chad Pinder type. Maybe that doesn't excite you as a first round pick. But there's growth potential in there. It's a guy who does not strike out very much. We know that is a Guardians thing. Uh, 13 home runs, 11 doubles, hit 308 with a 384 on base, 546 slugging. Uh, if you're curious about age, he'll turn 21 in March. So very typically aged junior at this point in time, though technically a redshirt sophomore. It's just he's got he really good feel. Seems to always get bat to ball. One of those players that the production is always there, and I just think the production is going to continue. He's played well in the SEC every opportunity he's gotten, essentially, and he'll continue to do that. And I think I think he could play second base. I think he could play third base. I think he could play shortstop in a pinch. I think he could be a you know the super utility guy who plays every day. I think there's an above average starter. I am a bit of a high man here with him, but I just see very straight paths for him to success. I see easy ways for him to be a future major leaguer. And at 17th pick in the draft, I mean, to me, a relatively safe path to future major leaguer. I mean, that that seems like a top 20 player. Okay, this is my most controversial. Right here at 16, you ready? Uh, Dylan Lesko, universally a top 10 pick, has dominated at Buford in Georgia, I believe. Uh, Is that Will Benson's old school? You know, I I could look these things up beforehand, but when I was looking at my listing, I was like, wait a second. I believe that is Will Benson's old school, by the way. Uh, You can correct me if I'm wrong. Hit me up on Twitter at over at Jeff MLB Draft. And I want to thank you again for making Lockdown Guardians your first listen. Free and available today and every day on podcasting platforms, apps, wherever you get podcasts. One thing I do love about Lasco is he's 6'2". He'd be, just a few years ago, he'd be considered an undersized right-hander. There would, a decade ago when I started writing, Porter would be over him on every prospect list. That's just the truth of the matter. Even though he has been the more dominant player, even though he looks a little bit safer to me, even though that changeup is absolutely filthy, uh, he does everything well. But high school pitcher, you know, it's he is probably... I like him better than um, blanking on the guy the Pirates took a year ago. 
But let's just put it that way. I think he's the best high school pitching prospect in the last few years. He's still sitting here at 17 just because at the end of the day, I can't. It's a deep college hitter class. It is a very good class to, like, the Indians are in an area where they almost have to take a college hitter or a few college pitchers that maybe be there. But it's such a good class for hitters in general that it pushes down Lesko. And again, he's a really good right-handed bat. He has done everything correct. Everything looks at the fastball, changeup are both plus to plus plus pitches. Um, you look down the rest of the line for him. The, the curve should be a workable third pitch. Uh, he's shown really good control. You got to like the fact that last year he had a .35 ERA with 112 strikeouts and 60 innings. Again, it's high school stuff. But... Uh, you know, and he's an athlete. I've always talked about like if you want to avoid injury, athletes are the way to go. I think he's he's a really good high school pitcher. I just have my own issues with high school pitching, and I've been very honest about that from the beginning. And yeah, six two does concern. I mean, I know it's weird. I was like the one who was always like, oh, height doesn't matter. But the more time you spend with it, you're like, yeah, it it does. It allows some pitchers to get better extension. It allows for better movement on pitches. Now, I'm not saying the 6'2 is too small, but it gives him less to work with is essentially what it comes down to. I still stand, though. Like, I'd rather have a 6-foot pitcher than a 6'8 pitcher because those guys just mechanically, it's a mess when you're too tall. Man, I'm really looking at that. Like, 6'4", 6'5 is kind of the sweet zone for pitchers. There's nothing wrong with Lasko's height. It's just a minor ding. Honestly, like if he was six foot four, he still would be 16th on the board just because of the players in front of him uh, right here. It, this is just my view on prep pitching. That's that's all this comes down to, along with uh, just the overall depth of the college hitters in this class. The college hitters in this class, this is the best group of college batters I can recall in the last few drafts. I mean, maybe in the last few maybe since I've started this, it is a really good class. And we're going to get into that as we go on. I mean, this next group we've talked about, it is college hitter heavy. It is such a good group. It is impossible to miss out, uh, you know, to, to, to skim over and ignore all of these college hitters. Having said that, we are going to call it a podcast for today. We're going to end it there with Dylan Lesko, a player that I controversially, I am sure, have here at 16. Uh, we have our top 15 to go. We will keep getting into this. As I said, it's a lot of college bats. We have no more prep pitchers. We do have two, I believe, two more pitchers in the top 15. 13 bats and two pitchers in the top 15. Uh, four prep players, 11 college players. That that's I think that speaks volumes about this class. Uh, it's a really good class in terms of the college hitter. The Indians have not drafted a college hitter early since it's like the Zimmer and Pappy times, right? Like that's the last time they had a uh, college player, college hitter they took in the top two rounds. Let me confirm this. So yes, the last three college hitters they took in the first round were Zimmer, Pappy, and Naquin to to go. And if you want a fourth, it's Bo Mills, a fifth, Trevor Crow. That's how back you have to get for the last five college hitters going in the first round. College hitters to go in round two. Uh, this list might take me even longer. Uh, Logan Ice is the last uh, college hitter that they took in the second round. Jason Kipnis is the second one. Josh Rodriguez, Wes Hodges, Matt McBride back in 2006. 
So they have not been as much into the college bats early on. Uh, we'll see if that shifts and changes with the draft uh, because that's where the depth is. But it is interesting to point out you know, that uh, there are some players I've already talked about who are their types, and we have seen them go a little bit under slot before uh, to then spread that money around. So that's also a distinct possibility that they could do that. I hope you've enjoyed the podcast. I hope you've enjoyed the draft talk. We still have 15 more players to talk about. You can see if a player you know or curious about is in this list is going to go. Uh, I think you can probably guess who the 15 are, I believe, uh, at this point in time. But again, thank you for listening. Remember to rate and review. Download daily. It helps our show grow. We fell out of the top 100, which is partially my fault. Off-season, things get a little weird with scheduling. But uh, again, I want to thank you all for listening, rating and reviewing, doing your part. Lockdown Guardians team, remember to keep doing your part. And as always, go, go, Guardians, go.